Bold. And it's Adams put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all, and welcome back to another episode. Episode 30, would you believe it? That sums it all up. Let's get the champagne out. Arsenal are unfortunately out of the Carabao Cup uh, and unfortunately won't be making it to Wembley to take on Chelsea in the final, having lost at home in the second leg to Liverpool. 2-0, Diogo Jota double. We're going to run through the game, the result, where it leaves Mikel Arteta's side, now out of both domestic cups in quite quick succession. No European football, obviously, with just the domestic league to focus on. Johnny is back with me today. Good morning, Johnny. Uh, we're speaking on a Saturday morning. Good way to start the weekend. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. We were just sort of catching up a bit off mic. Been, uh, I've been a bit busy. You've been in Edinburgh playing a bit of football. I'm, I'm trying to get to the Arsenal game tomorrow. I've got a spare ticket if anyone... Well, I guess this will go out after the game. So there's no <laughs> point asking if anyone wants it. But yeah, it's all good. It's busy at work. Um, just like enjoying... Saturday mornings, chill, wake up and it's sort of fresh outside, have a cup of tea and can relax and get into the weekend. With you there, I think having like a, a Saturday morning where you wake up decently early, get a cup of tea, you've got like a bit more time, especially if you've been working hard during the week. And yeah, I love that kind of Saturday morning. I'm with you there and it's fresh outside and go on a little walk little cycle might get my hair cut today who knows who knows um possibilities. yeah well as as i said on off air uh i will be looking into train and plane tickets if i find something very cheap and maybe people who listen to that sums it all up can sponsor my trip back to back to london who knows who knows um yeah, so you've been working i've been working i've been playing football have you managed to just before we get into arsenal have you managed to catch? Are you keeping up with much of the AFCON um, state of affairs? I'm trying to, but not really. I watched, mm. what did I watch? I've watched half an hour of, of one of the games, but, and I was listening to, I can't remember what, I think it was an athletic podcast about AFCON, but the coverage is really poor from Sky and mm. it does make the, the product just slightly less engaging because mm. I think it's, like the world coverage and there's no real commentary there's no analysis mm. and especially if you're watching predominantly sort of a lot of players or nations that you're not that familiar with if you could just have like a few experts in the studio giving a bit of background mm. i think that would make it a lot more appealing because then it's it's far less abstract of a tournament but Having said that, I, I, I've sort of been keeping tabs on Ivory Coast because of Pepe. He seems to be doing pretty well, which mm. is, is really positive. Um, and, and obviously was watching or keeping an eye out for the Ghana results um, mm. because of party. And we do know how that ended, which is, you know, it's not good because I, you, I, I want Ghana to do well. I want party to do well because it obviously makes him happy and that's what he wants. But mm. But it's beneficial from an Arsenal standpoint to have them back. Or well. was going to be beneficial <laughs> from an Arsenal standpoint to have them back. Um, uh. And then, and thus we, you know, we digress. But it was, yeah, I, I will watch some of the knockout games, I reckon, now the group yeah. is over. I mean, I've got my eyes on um, Pepe's Ivory Coast are playing Mohamed Elneny's Egypt in the round of 16, I think, which is a very exciting, tantalising clash. Like you, I haven't been keeping up. I haven't watched too much of it. I watched the last sort of 10 minutes of the Comoros-Ghana game. Mm. And I think also because a lot of the kickoff times are kind of in during the day. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but they're on Sky, sort of like extra, extra channels. So it's not easy to sort of access it. And yes, maybe if I had the interest to sort of keep up with it a bit more. But as it gets to the knockouts, I think maybe, you know, I'd be keen to watch Pepe and, and sort of Salah um, pitted against each other, uh, Ivory Coast, Egypt. And I think just on on uh, on Pepe, Nicola Pepe, I don't, he, he started on the bench in the first game for Ivory Coast, uh, came on, I think he got an assist. Second game, he started, scored, 
and then last game against Algeria, Riyad Mahrez's Algeria, you know, current holders of the AFCON title. You know, he got a brilliant goal, laid on an assist. He, I mean, it's really good to see him, I mean, kind of in the same way that we maybe hoped Aubameyang would uh, go to Gabon and sort of enjoy his football. Like Pepe looks like he's really enjoying himself. Um, mm. I haven't seen him sort of celebrate like that when he scores the goals. He looked really happy. And, you know, it's not something we can say we've seen as Arsenal fans, mainly because he's not been on the pitch. But I'm really happy for him. Maybe he needed that. And if it means that he's his focus and kind of like contribution can be improved from an Arsenal point of view, we're going to need him because like, you know, as we see at the moment, we're, we're threadbare squad-wise. But let's um, let's move on and we'll, we'll touch, we'll, I'm sure we'll get on to Aubameyang and stuff later on because um, I've definitely got a few things to say. We spoke last after the Manchester City game, which was a very encouraging performance, albeit a pretty painful result to to swallow. Uh, we got a red card in that game. Gabriel got sent off. Granit Xhaka gave away a penalty. It's kind of been the same over the last few games, albeit the performances maybe have been not as impressive. Uh, Granit Xhaka got sent off in the first leg against Liverpool. Uh, we did manage to get a nil-nil draw, and I thought we played pretty admirably, to be honest. And then... Got another red card, again, quite different, but Thomas Partey got sent off against Liverpool. So we played the two best teams in the league across two competitions, got three red cards, finished with 10 men three times and not won any of them. But I guess have competed more than we ordinarily would. I I think back to a, I think it was a a quarterfinal Carabao Cup game against Manchester City um, at the Emirates a few years ago and we got absolutely battered like 4-1 or something. Um, that, that was last season, I think. And Lacazette last season. scored quite early on. Yeah, Lacazette scored quite early on and then they just beat us 4-1. And it was just like, it was during the period where we were struggling a lot, but, you know, it was just like, oh, we're playing Man City, we're going to lose 4-1. So at least we haven't got battered. And I don't mean that in a sort of uh, cynical way, like we have competed and we've just got to sort this discipline stuff out. But let's let's go on to, we'll talk about discipline and, and all of that, but let's let's start at the starting lineup, um, did what, what did you make of of the team that Mikel Arteta put out for the Liverpool game? I I guess I was pleased to see sort of Tomiyasu, Erdegaard, Smith Rowe all back in all back in the sort of mix. But really, and look, we're so threadbare. There was not much else we could have done. Like you know, Inketa could have started. I guess. I think had Chambers been fit, I think he would have started because and we'll probably get on to this. It was very evident that quite a few of our players just were really rusty. They weren't match fit. My mm. biggest surprise was was to see Thomas Party on the bench because he literally woke up Thursday morning and was was in Ghana, I assume in Accra, maybe. And I think he had to get multiple flights back to London. It wasn't just a case of all right, I'm just gonna hop on a plane and fly direct. It was well, it looked it as well. I don't know if you caught a caught a sight of him, sort of as he was sitting on the bench, but he looks like exhausted. And I'm not surprised. You think about the yeah. the emotional and physical strain. But sorry, keep going. No, no, I, you're you're completely right. And I think it's a, it's a real shame because we we should never and the red card feeds into this because we should never have been in a position where we had to rely upon someone, any player. It doesn't matter whether it's Thomas Partey or Mohamed Elneny on like our midfield spectrum, mm. we shouldn't be relying upon a player who's literally landed from a really significant journey, sort of seven hours previous, or if less than that, five hours, mm. uh, to play in an important semi-final where you know, we should either have the depth or I would rather see Charlie Patino come on. And it's just, look, and I find, kind of feel like I've been proved right by the fact that he got sent off and his time has mm. definitely to that because it's the main reason he rushed back wasn't to play against Liverpool for 15 minutes in a semi-final no. it was to play <laughs> against Burnley on Sunday which he now can't do and yeah I, I saw he released the statement apologizing which I thought was almost a bit unnecessary I mean maybe some Arsenal fans are in a different camp to me but mm. I don't really I'm not really angry at party I'm more no. sort of upset 
at the whole situation just by sort of Xhaka's stupidity from the first leg still and the lack of numbers we have and it's all just a vicious cycle in our midfield at the moment and we really really need to just add a body or two in there mm, I agree and I think you know benefit of hindsight is is key here and you know I think given the way that it it played out you can say that you know it was almost turned into a bit of a comical thing uh before the game it was like oh that Thomas Party, like what a legend he's, he's, he's straight back from the plane like landed at 12 p.m at Heathrow straight to the team hotel and he's on the bench he was literally playing for Ghana you know at 5 6 p.m if not later uh the evening before so you know he should he shouldn't have been on the bench really, but I can see why maybe he was because of the limited options we had. And if he was like, look, I want to, I want to put myself out there, but we've seen before. And I think we've heard quite a lot from Mikel Arteta when he's been asked about Thomas party is that this, he's a guy who really pushes and wants to sort of make himself available for the team. And sometimes that's to his own detriment because he gets injured or, maybe his head's not in the right space like we saw against Liverpool. I mean, I think he, for, for a few minutes, he looked quite good and I was like, oh, like, fine. But at the same time, the game was kind of gone at that point. Um, and, you know, the first, I mean, let's talk about it now. I thought the red card, the the first tackle, did it have to be a yellow card? I, I don't know. Like, I think it was it was harsh, but the second tackle was was careless and late and... I don't think he can have too many complaints because clearly his head wasn't in the right place and that's on him, but it's also more probably on, you know, the, the, the club and Mikel Arteta perhaps for allowing him to, to play a part in the game when clearly he wasn't ready. And also, you know, it's more important that he's available for Burnley and now we don't have him. We don't have Xhaka. We're going to be back to, you know, the bare bones in midfield again. Doesn't look like we're going to sign anyone before then. So, yeah, I, and it's hard not to sort of attribute some of the blame to, to Granit Xhaka as well, because he should have been there. You know, he's the senior man. He's, he's, uh, he should have been there. He's, he's one of the leaders. And I think, you know, this is a, we'll get onto the Granit Xhaka conversation as well at some point, but you know, this is another reason why he, he's got to go in the summer. We've got to replace him adequately. Yeah. Um, I, I also just think the whole Ainsley Maitland-Niles loan was handled terribly. And, and we're, it's being completely done against us now. We're trying to sign Artemelo from Juve. And one of the primary stumbling blocks as to why we've not got that over the line is because Juve haven't signed a replacement. for. Mm. for and, and I don't see why Arteta, or well, it wouldn't be Arteta, it'd be Edu, presumably, knows our fixtures and just can say to the technical director at Roma or to Jose Marino, just say, look, you can have Ainsley Maitland-Niles on loan, but he's only available after the 23rd of January because we've got mm. this fixture up. There's still over a week left in the window. He's yours, but we're going to need bodies in midfield. Or, you know, we have a replacement. Give us, you know, give us Jordan Veritu. He's a decent midfielder in Syria mm-hmm. and plays for Roma. But to have to just be so almost naive and just let Maitland-Niles go mm. within the first week and have no replacement lined up. And then the sole reason or the main reason as to why we've not been able to get a midfielder in is because the club we're trying to sign that midfielder from won't do a deal unless they've got a replacement. It just shows maybe mm. on some level, you know, we speak about this team being young. Mm. It's a young club as well well in terms of management it's edu's first real club job it's arteta's first job um as a manager and a first team head coach and that that was in my opinion quite a big mistake yeah and i don't think you were alone there i mean i yes i think it was a mistake as well we we should have regardless of roma's intentions and maitland niles's sort of headspace i think the crucial thing is, you know, the team and the club come first and we needed another body. We needed Ainsley Maitland-Niles um, at centre mid, at right back, wherever. Like we're so threadbare and he's, you know, the utility man, he's perfect for this kind of thing. And even if he was going to go, you sort of say to him after, like, look, we need you for this period, just until Thomas Partey is back, just until Grand Jacques' suspension's over or whatever. And, and El Nenny's back and then you can go and, 
but I think on the flip side, if I'm trying to understand maybe where, where, how to understand this in a way that makes sense, I think Arteta was asked about it, and he he said in his press conference, like, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, that you know it's very hard for when a player knows he's you know he knows that he'll be allowed to leave and the club have agreed to it, but you're not gonna you're gonna delay it for about a week or two. And Arteta said that his head just wouldn't, it wasn't in the right place. He wasn't in a fit state to play because he's obviously worrying about injuries and all of that sort of stuff. And maybe that's quite a delicate situation to manage, especially after, you know, Maitland-Niles staying in the summer, all of that sort of, uh, you know, Instagram um, upset and Arteta keeping him in tow and then promising him more minutes. And then he, you know, he had a few, but he didn't get many. And so maybe it was a case of, trying to manage the situation but I do agree with you you know like yeah on the objectively he should have stayed and you say to him look like you're an Arsenal boy you come from Hale and the club needs you for this period you can go for, to Roma afterwards you'll get if you play well you get a good move maybe in the summer we will not stand in your way but we need you right now and I think maybe as you say it's a bit naive on I think Mikel Arteta probably did have a part to play because I think any of these decisions on the squad, you know, he has to give it the green light. I don't think Edu is going to be telling Arteta, like, this guy's going out on loan. Like, Arteta will be probably more, if anything, like, more in control of these situations. But, um, yeah, it, it it does make a bit of a, a mockery of sort of where we're at midfield wise at the moment and it's it's not fair on Albert Sammy Lukonga either like he's not played a lot of football he's a look he's a player with a lot of potential I thought he did all right against Liverpool um you know you could tell that there's a lot for him to learn in his game but he's 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 too young and it's not fair for him to shoulder these burdens um at this current stage of his career so do you have anything else to add on that no I, I agree I just think on the on the Maitland Niles um, discussion, fundamentally his qualm was game time. And yeah. if you tell him, look, you're guaranteed you're starting against Forest, you're starting against um, Liverpool in both legs, let's say, he probably wouldn't have started the North London Derby had that not got postponed. But if you tell him, look, you know, you you're here until after the Burnley game but in that time you're going to start three or four out of the five games we're playing and mm. you'll probably have some involvement in all five of them I don't think he protests that I think he goes right that's mm. what I want he wants a game plan I think if he could hand pick a club um, that he won a game plan for it would be Arsenal because of for, for all the reasons you mentioned mm. this isn't like we were dealing with like a Lucas Torreira situation with a player that was homesick and desperately wanted to go back to Italy yeah. I understand that you know his mind might not have been fully in it because he's worried about getting injured and how that would affect his loan spell. But I just don't think top, top professional footballers, Premier League level footballers, necessarily think like that in, in those binary ways. And then going on to Lukonga quickly, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, I think Bernie will be a good test because it's just not fair to judge him against one of the best midfield in Europe, you know, especially when he's not when he's playing on his own. <laughs> exactly. He's what how is he? 21 years old? It's like a kid come from Belgium. He's barely played since we actually lost to Anfield in the league. And then yeah, where he struggled. Yeah. Uh, hold his own against the midfield of Jordan Henderson, Champions League winner, Premier League winning captain, Fabinho, one of the best deep He's exceptional, Fabinho. What a player. So intelligent. I mean, like that that tackle he made on Martinelli in the the second leg. But again, one of the best midfielders in the world, James Milner, who's been there, done that, seen it all, 36, getting on a bit. But Mm. just can't put a look. Conga, especially without party for 90 minutes or Jack for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, anywhere near them. So, you know, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm interested to see how he fares tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. I think let's just finish up that Maitland Niles conversation. I think, you know, it was quite clear early on in the window when those stories first broke about Roma being interested. They were very forthright in it happens now because we need him or it doesn't happen. And I wonder if they made that very clear to Maitland-Niles and then 
you know, I think Arteta was went on record as well saying like, look, Maitland-Niles, he, he thought it was a very good opportunity to work with Mourinho. They probably said to him like, look, if it doesn't happen now, it's not happening. And I guess maybe that's a bargaining tactic. And you should say like, look, well, sorry, we need to get a replacement in first. They should have done that. That's the, that's the main thing, I think. You can't let Maitland-Niles go unless you have a replacement lined up. And maybe they thought they did. Maybe they thought that Artemelo thing was going to come through sooner rather than later. But it just, I think it does speak to a bit of an experience maybe from how to manage a delicate situation, a tough situation where you're weighing up player, sort of feeling the needs of the club, financial things, other deals that, need to go through for this to happen so I think yeah you we, we, we sort of covered this very well um just on Lokonga I think yeah he I remember one of his best games I think for Arsenal was against Newcastle when we played them at home so I'd be interested to see I can't remember who was next to him that day I think it was Thomas Partey maybe may have been Granit Xhaka I can't remember but he you know he created loads of chances he really played well and I think if we could see that against Burnley you know, he's not a shy boy. He gets on the ball. He likes to, yeah, sometimes he takes too much time on the ball, but I think, you know, he's confident and over the next few years, hopefully he fills out, fills out a bit, becomes a bit more physical because he's got the athleticism. And I think, you know, he can develop into a really good player. But as you say, we, we need people around him. It's unfair to sort of expect him, expect too much for him. Um, moving on then, um, Ramsdale's in goal as he was in the first leg and, it's now come to light that Bernd Leno's position at the club looks increasingly less secure. Um, I think he, he's he been given the green light to sort of discuss a move away. I think what played into that as well, his decision to, to leave Arsenal was first uh, our FA Cup exit, because obviously that was minutes for him, and then being overlooked for Ramsdale. Um, in the first leg of the Carabao Cup. So I kind of, that makes sense to me. Again, this is a good example. You don't let go until you've got a replacement and we're in talks to sign who's been labelled the best, most valuable player in the MLS, which I haven't really looked into too much, but apparently he's a great player. Uh, Matt Taylor, I think his name is, um, goalkeeper. Um, what do you have any anything to add on sort of those links and also Bernd Leno's situation? I know you you've never been his biggest fan. No, we were we were chatting about this, and I was just saying he's um, Leno. That is is um, I think it's it's natural. It's a natural time for him to leave. I also wonder if the fact that there's a World Cup this year is playing into his decision to maybe force to remove in January because, look, he's a German international and no doubt that after Neuer and Stegen, that sort of third choice, um, third keeper role has is, is very much been his of late, but he's obviously got challenges to that. And mm. I think I think he he's really, you know, he's really keen on, on securing that spot and getting some solid game time but um i'm just trying to find out a bit more i don't know much about the the keeper that yeah i mean I, I read a really interesting piece um about him and you know that the, there was a certain metric that was used to assess the most valuable player in terms of like input on the pitch in terms of goals prevented or goals contributed to or whatever just like how can you measure one's value on the pitch? And he came out on top over the last sort of like three, four years. Um, you know, he was named like the MLS all-star. I don't quite know how it works. You know, it's, it's slightly different the way that soccer works in uh, America. Yeah. Um, but, you know, apparently he's a, he's a good player and uh, I think he's a an Arsenal fan, maybe. Um, I could be wrong there, but I think there's definitely some sort of like engagement with the club prior to this link um but it sounds it's kind of reminiscent of in the report as well in the athletic i think it's kind of similar to the deal that took zach stefan um from the mls to manchester city as the understudy and he every time he's played he looks pretty good to me like he's a physical beast or a specimen but that was sort of upwards so i think seven million pounds or something like that um and i think you know he's a very adequate backup he's young and maybe, 
maybe that works with Leno sort of, I think maybe his time at the club has probably come to an end at this point. Mm. Um, it's, yeah. uh, it's Matt Turner. Matt Turner, not, sorry. Oh, oh Matt, God. Matt I, I thought it was, it was like, it was Matt Turner. And then I was thinking if there was a footballer. Oh, yeah. Matt Turner. Matt Turner. I think I've just been just searching a bit more about the deal. It's definitely not a done deal yet or, or completed, but I think for what I can understand, it, it would be about five and a half million, similar mm. to the Zach Stefan move. And then that would pave the way for Leno to leave. But he's obviously been linked quite heavily with Newcastle. But I'm not, I haven't read, I have, other than that, I've not heard too much about where he would go destination wise. Mm. I think, um, I think Newcastle have open talks with him. And I, th- I saw a figure of something like 14 million. I think Football London reported that that's our value on Leno. Um, which I think is sort of a bit fair. I mean, uh, you'd probably be able to demand a bit more. He's a German international and got great experience. So I'd like to think that you could sort of get parity with maybe the Emmy Martinez deal. Um, But yeah, maybe market prices and uh, capacities are influencing that. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say Matt Taylor. He's obviously the, uh, he's the old Portsmouth and I think Bolton midfielder who scored that screamer uh, back in the day. Um, But, Look, let's let's move on then to the first half because um, we've been uh, we've been dissecting dissecting all this good stuff. But I think we've we've got a game to discuss. Um, we started like decently well for about five ten minutes, and then I think Liverpool kind of just like imposed themselves, and we sort of succumbed to their you know discipline, experience, direct approach. It didn't look like we had the legs. It was quite clear very quickly. I mean, I don't know about you, but Tomiyasu obviously was not ready. And after the game, we we learned that, you know, he hadn't trained. He shouldn't have been playing, but it was really clear. And I felt quite sorry for him. Um, I thought Smithrow looked like another one who hadn't been training. He looked, he didn't look sharp. He looked out of his depth. Um, I thought Lacazette, maybe less excuses than the other guys, but, you know, he had one of those games where he just, he... Ugh, he, what can he do against a centre-back pairing of Matip and then Canate and Van Dijk? Like, he's he's not going to do much. He was knackered. He sort of ran out of steam very early. He just didn't have the legs to sort of press in the way that, say, Martinelli or, you know, another athletic forward might do. Um, and I thought those were the sort of players that, to me, looked like they struggled most. Um, I thought Lakonga had a bit of a shaky start but grew into the game and I don't really know as you said what more can we expect from him against the midfield three of Fabinho who I just think is like you know that tackle that he made was great but it's kind of I see one of those from him every single week mm-hmm. and uh Henderson as well and then Curtis Jones I thought was really good for them as well um yeah you know energetic yeah. athletic and that's again it's kind of like isn't it interesting, you know, we're being linked with Artemelo and the, the longer it goes on us having not signed him, the less I want the deal to go through. I know we need a body, but he's not athletic. He, you know, I, I read Tim Stillman was, was talking about it on Twitter and he said that Tite, the Brazilian coach, tried to build the Brazilian national team around him um, after the 2018 World Cup and it just didn't go to plan and he hasn't been recalled since. And he, he's he been compared to Ceballos in the sense that like he's very good on the ball, but he's quite slow, unathletic, gets bypassed very easily. Long-term, that's not what we need, but maybe short-term, it's as good as we can get. And yeah, anyway, um, so those were the players that struggled. I thought Ma- Gabriel Martinelli, I mean, his first half was, was brilliant. Um, and I know Jurgen Klopp, who needs to get his mitts off Gabriel Martinelli and walk away because he's now gone on record twice after that game sort of saying like, oh, that that little boy Martinelli, he's the one we'll be talking about, which is great, I guess. But I think uh, Martinelli, when he got the ball, he was taking Trent Alexander-Arnold on. He had him like completely. Um, and I thought he was the star man, along with Martin Erdegaard, I thought, who didn't look like COVID had affected him too much. I thought he was excellent and did probably the best work that I've seen him do from a deeper position um, for Arsenal. Um, 
And unfortunately, yeah, we went one nil down. Diogo Jota, who who's a real thorn in our side these days, uh, he just always looks like he's going to score against us, and he does. Um, should have been shown down the line, I think, by Tommy Asu, but he sort of gets his feet, he trips over his feet, and then obviously that scuffed finish, um, which beats Ramsdale, probably won't be too happy about that. Um, what what did you make of sort of that first half and and the goal and you know how how the game started and and how that half finished in a way yeah i think it was very much a half of two halves because <laughs> for the first 20 minutes basically up until they score i think we're the better team mm. we started you know we came flying out the out the gate martinelli as you say had had trent on ice for for that first 20 minutes as well. I think beat him two or three times. And it's been incredible to see him go up against Trent and Joao Cancelo, mm. who are probably the two best right backs in in the world at the moment, to be honest, I would I would argue, uh, along with Hakimi at PSG. And he's just had the better of both of them for substantial po- points and times in, in a game. And I just jump in there. I think that's that's a really good point to make. I mean, not that Jao Cancelo and Trent are like, you know, the best defensively, but what Martinelli did against them was that, I mean, he didn't manage to sustain it against Alexander-Arnold and we saw that, you know, he made a decisive attacking contribution by the end. But what he did because of his threat and his willingness to run in behind and take people on, he pushed Jao Cancelo, who was virtually mm. anonymous in that City game and Alexander-Arnold in that first half. He pushed them back and you don't want, I mean, City and Liverpool, they don't want Trent and, and Cancelo defending sort of in their defensive third because they're actually not great at it. And I mean, that is a testament to, to Martinelli's quality that, you know, these guys were really backtracking and, and being unable to deal with his threat. But um, yeah, I think you're so right to point out Martinelli's impressive uh, performance. Yeah, no, he was great. He was him and Odegaard. I agree, were were sort of the the shining stars of our team. Mm. It was just like I, I, it's not, it's not like a performance that we've left. We haven't. We don't feel. I don't feel like as a collective, the fan base uh, feels super like deflated by by the loss. Anyway, no. there was always a touch of look. We came up against the better side. You look at their eleven. You look at their bench. Compare it to ours, and it was. Mm. It just there was a goal from quality, but Tommy Asu and, and Smith Rowe really mm. just looked like they had no fitness. I, they they weren't in the training pictures, and I think it was Gunner Blog and Arsbrook sort of touched on this in, in the podcast yesterday that it's not if they're not in the training photos, it's not because we're sort of trying to disguise or mm. trick the other team. It's that they're just not training; they've been rushed back. <laughs> They're not match fit. They're not ready to play, but we don't have enough players mm. and they have to play. And and, and um, look, we had the North London derby postponed because we didn't even have 13 outfield players. Mm. Look at our bench, which was very light. And Ketia and party side, and we've already sort of said party should never have been been on the, on the bench in the first place. It, it, it was, you know, threadbare, almost doesn't do it justice in my opinion. Mm. Um, and then, and then, yeah, they score. Jota scores, and it's a it's a good goal. He does turn. It's the first time I've seen Tommy Asu get turned inside out mm. since since he joined. And when you sort of add together him not training and not being match fit, and he's against Diogo Jota, who's one of the best players in the league, I mm. uh, I will forgive him. Uh, yeah, definitely. This, definitely. I don't think there's anyone sort of slating him. Um, for having an, an off day because every player is entitled to that. But it just changed the whole momentum. And yeah, it did, it did. Liverpool, they slowed the game down. They they had really experienced heads on the pitch in Van Dijk and Henderson and Fabinho and they, they just, and Firmino as well. And yeah. they just sort of just knocked it between them and we, mm-hmm. we couldn't really get any real control. And when we got possession, we turned it over. Saka, I also... I don't know if he had an off night or we sometimes 
forget he's 20 years old and he was up against the best left back arguably in world football right now mm. and I thought Andy Robertson from a defensive perspective standpoint just had a fantastic game and didn't give Saka an inch and that's that's all right you know I can't argue against that it's Andy Robertson and at the end of the day Saka is still very young and he will get better but for me, my general takeaway from the half and the game in general was just it was one of those nights where none of the like extenuating factors went in our favour. We did make a few silly mistakes, but we didn't gift them any goals, in my opinion. I just thought no. we, were, we were sort of outplayed by a better team. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's no shame. And I think, you know, I, I, was, I was excited for this game because of the sort of build-up. And obviously it would this leg had been postponed. It was meant to be played a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the whole question of why did Liverpool get it postponed and the false positive tests and then Arsenal postponing the North London derby. And it was like, right, this is a good chance to show them that, you know, we're here and, you know, fuck the haters and all of that sort of stuff. And it just, and then I remember thinking just before the game, I was like, oh, but, you know, they could just come and they're so experienced and they're just going to like do the job. And they did the job, like, that is what they did. They did the job. Like they, they, they rode out the initial sort of buzz in the stadium and the players. They got a goal from a bit of individual quality from uh, Jota. And I think also in defence of Tommy Asu, like Ben White was also, you know, turned on that side by Diogo Jota quite early on. And I think he was brimming with confidence and sort of penetration and, athleticism and power which is a stark contrast to sort of you know Lacazette doesn't do that ever like when we don't see our forwards sort of take the ball and run down the sides and stretch defences I mean even when Aubameyang was sort of fit and firing he doesn't have the physical sort of profile to do that and Jota is strong he's good in the air he presses he's good technically he's a brilliant finisher albeit does miss a few glaring ones but all the best strikes in the world do um so i think there's no shame in it but you know it was a kind of reality check that you know when you come up against the liverpool side where you're playing a team who aren't fit and you know are sort of without those pillars of experience in inverted commas contrasting to you know that spine I mean I know they had Kelleher in goal but it didn't really matter in the end because Van Dijk and Matip you know Lacazette is probably the least worrying striker for those two guys um, because they're brilliant at reading the game they're big they're they're athletic they're fast Lacazette gives them no issues whatsoever Trent and and Robertson but you know the best fullback pair in the world dealt with you know, um, Martinelli gave uh, Alexander-Arnold issues and I thought Saka, ugh, we kept trying this thing where Ramsdale and Ben White, and maybe it was our only way out, where they'd float balls into Saka mm. and expect him to sort of win the ball. And a lot of the time, Robertson was just all over him and it was just kind of a bit frustrating for him. I think, you know, he wasn't, you don't want to be sort of testing Saka in the air. So I think... He had one of those nights, which was tough. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel for him because, you know, he was, he scored the goal against Man City and then we get a man sent off and he's doing all the defensive dirty work. You know, against Liverpool, he was exceptional, but, you know, he he was out on his feet. Like, he, that's not the game that you, you want to ask of a 20-year-old sort of forward player. And then this game as well, it's just like, it's a hard one for him. But, yeah, I think... It was uh, it's a tough one, and I think it it, it sort of didn't come uh, to pass in the way that Arsenal fans were maybe excited for. Um, I think also to be honest, like the second half was pretty non-eventful. I mean, Lacazette had a decent chance where Lukonga played him through brilliantly, and Lacazette took a good touch and then sort of just um, sort of uh, you know skewed his finish high and wide and didn't have the composure or took it earlier because he didn't back himself to sort of have the, you know, the the pace and the the control to sort of get the ball in a better scoring position, which, I mean, at stark contrast to Diogo Jota's second goal, which I thought was exceptionally well taken. Um, you know, the the touch, the the confidence, the 
the lift over the keeper. I mean, the ball from Alexander-Arnold as well. Um, but apart from that, there wasn't too much else to talk about from the game. It was quite flat. Liverpool did the job, as I've said a billion times now. And then Thomas Partey got himself sent off. Um, what Was there anything else that you wanted to add on sort of uh, what I've just given a nice informative monologue on? No, it was look, it was it was fairly non-eventful. I think we you know, like I said we've started well, Lacazette obviously hits the bar. Well, it's a very good save. And he's a he's a really good goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, if a young as a young goalie. Yeah. I mean he's Irish. Quite it'd be quite interesting to see how he's developed. Clock has come out and said that he'll start in the final against Chelsea. Oh really? Yeah. Love that. Which is a big, big vote of confidence. And yeah. And actually, it was a great save because I think Lacazette going in. I forget that it was a save and it wasn't just hit the bar. It kind of looked like it hit the bar, but it was actually a really, really good save, wasn't it? Yeah, tips it on. Um, We didn't really, you mentioned that Lacazette chance. I think because we had so few chances in the game, especially in that second half, the... um, the significance of that chance is being magnified when in actuality it was quite a difficult um, position and maybe he should be hitting the target. But if we're sort of creating chances, even to like the extent that we did against Man City, um, mm. then, or, or even I, I actually think in the first leg, we probably had more chances than we did at, did at the Emirates, weirdly enough, especially in that second half. And, and, and almost better one, Sack had a great chance. Mm. Uh, very good save from Allison uh, at Anfield in the se- in the second half when we were down to ten men. Um, so I just yeah, it was just one of those games where, as you said, it was very functional from Liverpool. They sort of showed up, they did the job. They've got some outstanding players, even without Salah and Mane. They're a very very good team. They're still one of the best yeah. teams in, in Europe, and I. Obviously, the league looks like City going to run away with it, but I think they're going to be extremely competitive mm. in the Champions League and in the FA Cup uh, if they choose to be so. And I would have them as favourites to win this against the Chelsea team that are faltering at the moment. Yeah, I mean that as when you put it like that, and you're right to you know they still have a lot going for them this season. The fact that they, you know, they've played how they have without. You know, they did struggle that first game without Salah and Mane against us at Anfield. But since then, you know, they swatted aside uh, Brentford, was it? And they then, you know, kind of swatted aside us. And it's like, yeah, when Salah and Mane come back, you know, they're going to be all over it. Um, And yeah, I'd love them to... I'm not, I'd I'd not love them to, but I'd prefer them to win the Carabao Cup over, over Chelsea. And I don't have a problem with them going further in the Champions League and I'd like them to challenge City because it's, it makes for a good competition and City aren't necessarily the most likeable team. I mean, not a Liverpool, but I'd probably prefer Liverpool to Man City, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, and then that was it, 2-0. Thomas Partey got the two yellow cards, came on late. Um, for me, that first one... I don't know. I just I think with all just the referee stuff recently and VAR, I looked at that first foul and I was just like, do you have to give him a yellow card? Like we're losing down to 10 minutes. Like it's game management from the referee. Like surely, I mean, yes, be objective about it, but surely you know that Partey's just come on and maybe this shouldn't play into it. But like, you know, it's just a little foul. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm downplaying it because I think some people did say it was probably more of a yellow than I'm saying. But you know, and the second one's definitely a yellow. It's late and, and careless. But, you know, he was so quick to get his card out in that for that first foul. And I'm just like, really? Like, do you have to? Like, Liverpool are winning this game anyway. Like, you don't have to just give a card for the sake of giving a card. And then he was off. I, think, I do think just in general, it was Martin Atkinson and he was very card happy. He was. On, uh, on, on Thursday night. I was just looking through it now. I mean, he booked from Liverpool, they, Curtis Jones... Minamino, Canate was booked, who came on as a sub, Lacazette, Tommy Asu, and then Party. So you know, six six players were booked, and it wasn't a dirty game. You know, it wasn't no. We weren't flying in, players weren't flying in at each other. It was um if I look at the stats. 
But you know what? I think he booked a Liverpool player quite early and then that sets the precedent for kind of like having to book it. And I'm all for like, you know, if it's a foul, it's a foul and book him. But like, it just cries to a bit of like, again, this Thomas Party punishment, like it's too harsh a punishment to then get two yellow cards, then you miss a league game. It's just like, oh, come on, like, why? <laughs> but that's just maybe more out of frustration from an, from an Arsenal point of view. But I do think it's a valid thing to, to feel about. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. It was, it, was, um, it was just a shame because the, the ramification, as you say, of that red card is so much greater than mm. the crime. And, and look... I think it's not not to well to play devil's advocate. I do think that his second challenge is is most certainly a yellow card. Yeah, and definitely. It's, it's an it's almost like an orange card. Yeah, um, it's late and yeah, it's quite high and studs are into sort of ankle and yeah. No, I agree. But um, let let's do our. I mean, we've touched on our takeaways already, but I think look it it looked as if the team weren't ready. And I think that, you know, in a way, this is a sort of positive defiance of, you know, all the criticism that Arsenal have come in for over the last few weeks, which I think has been absurd and comically so, um, about, like, trying to bend the rules. And it's like, we're not trying to bend the rules. Like, the rules the rules are incorrect, in my opinion, and they've been set by the Premier League and we've done our due diligence. And it's clear that we put that team out when Tommy Asu shouldn't have played, like if you're putting player welfare first, like some of these players you haven't trained are not prepared for the match and you probably could try and postpone it. But as Artessa said, we want to play, we want to play. And that clearly, I mean, I, to be fair, I had some doubts, you know, before that North London derby game, I was like, Oh, a Chambers, is Chambers really injured? Or like, you know, is, is Emil Smith-Rowe really not back? Or, you know, can Tommy Asu not play? But clearly it's been the case. And like, mm-hmm. You know, so I don't think we were ready to play a game like this. And, you know, as we saw against Manchester City, we can now compete with these really good teams, but we need everyone fit. We need everyone prepared. We need a full strength side out. We need a few options on the bench and we need no one to get red cards. And in all these games, none of those things have been sustained. So I think that's the next step. But look, I mean, the squad depth is an issue um, and we'll move on to talking about that. We'll just touch on transfers and go back to the Premier League. But, you know, we, um, yeah, we, we need some more players, basically, especially now that we've let some go. And we need to stop getting these fucking red cards because as much as we might have not got results in these games anyway, on the one hand, you're doing yourself no favours. On the second hand, you're setting precedents to other teams and to referees that Arsenal get red cards. That's what they do. And then thirdly, you're running players into the ground when they're not fit and they're struggling with numbers already. Like, just don't make it harder for yourselves. But I think uh, James McNicholas made a really good point on on the podcast yesterday, on, on the Arsecast Extra, that maybe it's a case of these players are just, you know, they've been groomed in this positional play and, and they're getting to grips with all of that and they're just not athletic enough to, you know, make these challenges and, and uh, and then they sort of panic and make these silly lunges and sort of bad tackles, and then we get sent off. And we, I'd be interesting to know like those stats keep coming out like fourteen red cards since Arteta took over. I wonder how many of those have been Jacker and Louise combined. I mean, you'd probably say almost half, maybe. I think six. Six. So six. it's like when you take those away and you're not going to take those away, but like it, you do need some perspective and context. And I mean, that cries out to me. That's why we got rid of Louise in the summer. That's why we need to get rid of Xhaka in the summer. You know, these things need to, we need to move away from these things. Um, did you have any takeaways yeah. before we get on to sort of transfers and look ahead to Burnley? No, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And, and the, the point about, red cards resulting then running the remaining 10 players into the ground is, is for me, the biggest issue. You know, playing half an hour, just over half an hour with 10 men against Guardiola's Man City, then playing over an hour against Klopp's Liverpool and Anfield with 10 men. It's just really exhausting. And look... Unfair, these young players. Yeah. 
the the speed at which the game is played at the highest level now is is almost unfathomable unless mm. you're really involved in it on as a player or as a coach. And we don't really have any real experience of it from a TV screen or even when you're in the stadium, you don't really feel how quickly it's moving on the ground. And it just makes the recovery process so difficult. And when you've got, as, you, as you've already mentioned, not a big squad and players coming back from injury and there's a pandemic still, just further compounds issues. And it's, it's, it is really, that's for me the biggest issue is like Saka, Lacazette, Smith Rowe, or who was out, but Erdegaard, these players are being sort of run into the ground. Martinelli too. Players. Yeah, Mar- Martinelli definitely, although he doesn't look like it. He's the only one who doesn't look like it's been affected. He's no, been affected it, it doesn't look like it affects him. He can recover well because he's young. And I think Arteta said that about Saka as well. But you see, you see by the end of the games, like... Sorry, that's the dog upstairs uh, who's uh, howling that his, his owner's not around. Um, what I guess it? by the end of that first leg, he, I mean, he was out on his feet. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big issue. If you put a positive spin on it, you maybe think, look, this is a great experience long-term for these players to experience, like, you know, the hardest of the hard at such mm-hmm. a young age when we're still, you know, these can be positive sort of formative experiences. But by the same token, just like, it's not what you want your young players to be having to go through with a, such a lack and scarcity of of consistent, experienced like influence on the pitch alongside it to sort of help them see it out. Like it is all on these young players, and it's just like you know we we've talked about how senior players have stepped up of late. You know, Partey's got back into his groove. Xhaka, I mean, was making Partey play better and um all of this sort of stuff and Lacazette was playing as well, but yeah, they, they need to be more consistent. Um, look, let's move it on um, and quickly touch on transfers because you are a transfer expert and, and then we'll have a quick few words on, on Burnley and then wrap up for today because uh, everyone's got Saturdays to, to be getting on with. Um, so tell me what's been going on um, Arsenal wise on the transfer front uh, because we've got about a week I think left of the window so there's there's plenty that's been going on and plenty to still do yeah we've got just over a week I think it's what the, it's, I can remember, it's the 22nd today we're recording so yeah we've got about a week and a half it's been interesting to see another January clear out a lot of what's gone on from the transfer side we're, we're well aware of but sort of Pablo Marie has gone to Udinese Kolasinic leaving. I think these were deals that were very much expected to happen. Balogun, Maitland uh, mm. Niles, nothing unexpected, let's say, or unplanned for on the Arsenal side has happened. I guess the the Leno move would probably be the first in first piece of um, transfer business that would have been like adapted to it mm. during this month with right the keeper from America, Turner. He's really well-rated. He was MLS Keeper of the Year last season. He's available. He's 27. He can push Ramsdale. Let's adapt during the window and then we can move Leno on mm. because I actually think the plan was probably to keep Leno until, until the summer. I'm, I'm, I'm not pleased with what we've done because we've not signed anyone and we desperately need to sign someone. The Vlavic um, sort of links are lingering, but there's so many contrasting reports and I think the Fiorentina CEO came out and said there's, there's interest from an English club, but it's, it's just interest. And another report is saying we've tabled a bid and it's 73 million in personal terms are sort of on the table, but he is, um, he personally is taking his time to decide. I think by the end of the weekend, start of next week, it's going to have to come down to a point where we're really decisive Mm. And I think a lot also rests on on what happens with Aubameyang, which we've not really touched upon. But there's the Almasar um, loan bid, which is a which is a really interesting loan bid. And also, I think it's Al Halal have uh, have also expressed interest. But that that's pretty critical in terms of what we do up front mm. over the next week and a half, because I think if Aubameyang is 
going to be sort of brought back into the fold and then we sort of part ways in the summer mm. you you don't you don't rush to sign a striker but if he's not and there's no way back for him then you 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 have to accept that loan bid because it's a very good loan bid from a financial perspective it's a, mm. it's all his wages are off the book and that that's a big big chunk of wages and we've also got Krasnac who was on 100 grand a week he's now off the wage bill but mm. getting rid of Bamiang's wages would be massive and mm. the transfer is not huge it's, it's it's very small it's about seven million pounds which is basically 10 percent or just under 10 percent of what we we paid for him mm. uh, only 28 january 2018 so four years ago mm. uh, but, but the circumstances are such and post-pandemic transfer market is is not what it was especially when it was at, right at its peak, which was that sort of January 2018 mm. through to, through to um, January 2019 period. Mm. We might be forced to accept that. It's, it's going to be a very busy, busy week and a half. I yeah. think we've, we need signings. We, it's just it's hard not to panic. No, definitely. Panic. I think, well, I mean everyone needs to make sure that they're they're sort of in the loop and uh, keeping up to date with, with Johnny's uh, reports. And, you know, he, he reports on conf- confirmed transfers as soon as they happen. So make sure you follow Football Transfer News Official. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I like I like the Kolasinac contract termination. I think that's been in the post for a while. And I think hopefully that's one of the final ones that we do in this way. I mean, hopefully Aubameyang doesn't follow suit, but, you know, we had last winter, we had Ozil, Socrates, Mustafi, um, and we had Willian in the summer. And then now it's Kolasinac and all of those guys were on, you know, big, big money. And I think that's really important for realigning the wage structure and sort of allocation of funds. Pablo Marie, I think that's fine. You know, he wasn't playing. We've got Rob Holding as a backup. Tierney can also play left back. I mean, centre-back if we really need him to. I think... The uh, the Leno thing is interesting, but I hope that you know these this keeper that we're we're linked with and in talks with, you know he's he's on the radar. We knew we know that Leno's going to leave at some point, and if that's just been pushed forward and accelerated to January, then I guess our summer plan for a keeper replacement has just been pushed uh, mm. forward in a way. Um, on a Bamiang, look like I think that it's not likely that we see him in an Arsenal top again because I just, I don't see it happening. Um, I don't see him being reintegrated. I think maybe he has to be if we can't sign a forward. I mean, it's very likely we can't sign a forward in this in this window because you can't let Aubameyang go without an assured replacement. But at the same time, it's like, maybe you need to let Aubameyang go before you can afford to push the boat out even more to sign you know, Vlahovic or, you know, someone else. But I, I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to be moving mid-season. I don't think Alexander Izak or Jonathan David, you know, other people that we've been linked with are going to be moving mid-season. So I think, you know, Arteta might be forced to, like, have a sit-down talk with Aubameyang. But he's been very coy on, on all of this. And, I mean, it, it seems like it's kind of done. I don't know about you. I, I didn't think this initially. I thought, well, we'll see. But, now that he's back from the Africa Cup of Nations, which is a conversation for another day, because I think there's maybe legs to stories of his disciplinary breaches, perhaps. And obviously, we, we're very pleased that he's his heart issues aren't as uh, serious as maybe the Gabon national team thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's ugh, I don't know. It's a shame, and and I think a, a damning indictment of sort of how it's gone since he signed that contract. That now you know, a Saudi Arabian club are trying to loan him until the end of the season when we desperately need our most paid player captain to sort of fire us to the top four. I mean, it's gone... Former, former captain. Former captain, yeah. So, you know, it's just like, it is a bit of a mess. But, I and there's also interest apparently from AC Milan and Marseille. That'd be interesting if you uh, he, he, he link up with Kolasinac, Saliba and... Uh, Guendouzi at Marseille would be funny. Anyway, let's we'll, we'll talk about that more another day. Um, and the the incomings, I think, let's just watch this space and, and we'll do another podcast yeah. in a week. Um, let's finish quickly with a few words on Burnley. Um, they're playing tomorrow, two o'clock, uh, 
So on Sunday, we're recording on Saturday. Um, yeah, we've got to win the game. It's a big game. Manchester United and Spurs won in the week. Um, we don't have Thomas Partey. We don't have Granit Xhaka. Who's to say whether these guys have been able to train since the Liverpool game? Um, I expect a pretty similar lineup, to be honest, because we don't have anything else uh, that's going on. And hopefully they can just give it their all. And then there's an international break and some of them will be, be able to rest. Some of them will have a bit of a rest and then go off to join up international teams. But it's so important that we win this game because of, you know, going into an international break. You don't want that negative energy carrying through. You want time to sort of recharge batteries and a positive mindset. And we need the points. And also if, I mean, if we win the game, I think, in a way, it strengthens the the argument that we need to strengthen in the transfer market. If we lose the game, it does the same because we do just do need to strengthen. Um, uh, expecting Aubameyang to make a surprise appearance uh, for the for the game on Sunday. <laughs> I, I would love it if if he was. I I, I will always, no matter what happens with Aubameyang, mm. uh, I will really really love him as an Arsenal player. I think he really carried us and. I was desperately hoping, and I only think he's sort of seven or eight goals off of becoming the next Arsenal centurion. Mm. It looks unlikely that he's going to make it, but yeah. look, whatever happens to him, I, I, he's been a great, one of the great Emirates era players. Yeah, and, um, and it will be a shame to see him go. It's but, just a shame that it's aligned with, you know, one of the worst Emirates, Emirates periods yeah. of, our, of our time, which I don't know if you can draw too many comparisons there, but yeah. I it could have been even worse. Without. Would have been a hell of a lot worse. Oh yeah, big time. He he's really kept us up there, you know. Um, and, but, but going on to the Burnley game, look, it's it's a it's a must win. And actually, what we have now, which is quite nice and refreshing, is clarity. We've got eighteen games to play in the league, and we need to take as close to. 58 points or 60 points or however many points we can get 55 points as possible um 54 points i think yeah we just need to push it we've got mm. to fight for every, every point matters and what we're in and we haven't been in a situation for quite a few seasons is a genuine race for the top four you know i'm looking at the league table now where we're two points behind west ham who are in fourth but we've got two games in hand and actually this weekend Spurs play Chelsea, West Ham play United, and we're at home to Burnley. So oh, all those teams massive. I hadn't thought of that. Are going to be are going to be dropping points, and it, it's been a long time since I've been looking at oh, who are United playing and how does that affect us, and who are Spurs playing because for the last two three seasons we've just sort of been between tenth and sixth going into um, coming out of winter and going into the run. But look, if Spurs if they draw their game or if Spurs lose and who West have a Ham. terrible record against Chelsea, yeah. might I add. Exactly, and that was just proved even more so in, the, in their Carabao Cup semi-final. But look, if they, if they will drop points and we take three points against Burnley, then we continue to take the initiative. And these are the games where we have to have to do it at home to the team currently rock bottom. Yeah, and, and United as well. You know, they beat Brentford, but... Brentford could have scored a couple. De Gea made some great saves, and and they're looking far from far from convincing. I know they've picked it up a bit of late, but you know West Ham are also a good side. I could see that going either way. A draw would be probably preferable, but um, yeah, it's a huge game for so many reasons, and um, I just I think yeah, let's finish on that positive sort of note of we haven't been in a race for the top four for a long time, and whether we end up in and about those positions who knows and I think we we will we'll push it but we haven't been in this position for a, a good few seasons and I think we have said consistently that this is where this team needs to be and should be under Mikel Arteta and I think that is a a positive line in the sand that we can draw that we are in the race for the top four and look we if we're if we're a club and I know it's difficult to do business in in January we need to be pushing the boat out to strengthen this squad because it's there for us if we want it. We need we can win the race. It's we can do it, but we need support. And I think the club would be willing to back uh Edu and Mikel Arteta. It's just whether we can get the players that we want and uh navigate this tricky market. I think that's the that's the main issue. Um and it's proving difficult at this moment in time. Um is there anything you want to add, finish on 
Um, no, that I think that sums it up well. It's quite. It's a good positive to end on. But that you know, sums it all up. <laughs> we're ready. We're ready to go. We, you've summed it all up very well. Yeah. Let Let's get out there tomorrow with as much energy as we have, and and just sort of put burn into the sword and mentally then we can really go into a two-week period which we yeah. need players need to rest i think they've got a, a, a trip to dubai is, yeah is planned. i saw that uh and then i guess we'll uh we'll be we'll be sort of reporting on on everything as it happens in the window and, and i think next week we've obviously got a special guest coming on we do so so that will be a, a good episode to look out for for the listeners. So yeah, it's a, it's a promising on on both the that sums it all up side of things and hopefully the Arsenal side of things as well. Oh yeah, that's a that's a great way of ending it. Um, well yeah, let's let's leave it there then, Johnny. Um, a pleasure as always. Excellent to talk to you and uh, and not a Spurs fan this week. No, I'm joking. Obviously, it was it was great to talk to Sam last week, but. It's nice to sort of return to normality. Um, you can now find every episode of That Sums It All Up. As I as I said last week, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Google Podcasts, it's on Mixcloud. And be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at That Sums It All Up too, And on Instagram at That Sums It All Up Pod. Uh, Johnny's been doing some good work on there. Um, so yeah, a follow would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny Rosen one. And as I said before, be sure to follow football transfer news on Facebook and football transfer news underscore fish on Instagram. Look out for the, for the episode next week. Uh, it'll probably be out on Friday. Um, the really good, good, interesting podcast with, with a sort of well-renowned figure in football. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. And um, until next time, take care everyone and uh, up the boys for tomorrow against Burnley um, and talk to you next week. Cheers. Goodbye.